Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, our Savior, look on this wounded world in pity and power. And as we hear your word, hold us fast to your promises of peace, one for us by your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our message today comes from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hear these words. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the generousness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this manner I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be fair balance as it is written. The one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. The Word of God for the people of God. Have you ever been looking forward to a sequel to a movie that you, you loved part one and you were so excited to see part two, and then when you finally got to watch it, you were a little bit disappointed? Maybe the characters had changed, or there were different actors, or the storyline just didn't quite match up the way you thought it should. Just out of curiosity, I googled um, top movie sequel fails, and there is a list if you want to know. <laughs> um, my favorite one on the list was um, every Home Alone sequel after part two. I have to, I have to agree with that one. Um, so the book of 2 Corinthians can be thought of kind of like that kind of like a sequel that just didn't really follow up the way that we thought it might. Um, 1 Corinthians is pretty straightforward. It's a letter from uh, the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth. It's a response. The church had written to him um, seeking some pastoral guidance on several issues within the church, probably some that we've never encountered, um, you know, things like division among members, um, immorality, legal disputes, marital issues, idol worship, and a few other housekeeping items, um, including the monetary collection being taken up for the Church of Jerusalem. But 2 Corinthians is more of a mixed bag of topics, writing styles, and even a little bit of an emotional roller co coaster for Paul. Many scholars agree that this mashup of effect is probably because 2 Corinthians is most likely a combination of bits and pieces of two or three, possibly um, uh, three letters from Paul to Corinth. 
When we first read our scripture passage for today, which is a lectionary text, it seems pretty straightforward, almost mundane, you know, like a normal stewardship sermon um, that we've all heard and every preacher has fretted over preparing. Um, and we pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15, right where 1 Corinthians ended with the collection for the Jewish Christian Church of Jerusalem. Now, if I were reading this with my, my teacher hat on, um, I might call this persuasive writing and give Paul one of those smelly stickers that my second grade students loved so much. Um, notice in chapter 7, Paul begins with this lavish praise of the Corinthians. He's saying, now as you excel in everything, in faith, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel in this generous undertaking. I think in the South we call that sweet-talking or buttering up. Um, Paul seems to basically be saying, look, you guys are so amazing with your faithful prayers and your kind words and your fancy fig and cheese boards. Um, just imagine how much better you would be if you shared some of that wealth with the less fortunate church 800 miles away that you really have no connection to. But you should do it anyway. Um, and right before this, in verses 1 through 5, Paul begins this chapter um, by praising the Macedonian church who had given very generously to the collection. So he's kind of using a little bit of a sibling rivalry tactic here, which I'm not a super fan of, but hey, he was a man on a mission, literally. Use what you have. Um, But then in verse 9, we begin to make a more Christological turn here, um, none too soon. He kind of leaves behind the sales pitch tone and swivels towards the cross. In verse 9, he begins with, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So we've now shifted away from being motivated to give because Another church has set the standard for giving and and for stewardship. And now we are facing the quintessential giver, Jesus. Paul's deep theological claim here is that you and I are called to be givers because it's the only authentic and genuine response to God's act of saving grace in Jesus Christ. In our origin story in the book of Genesis, God names us as image bearers of God's creativity and goodness in the world. How then can we best project the image of Christ, who so generously gave all so that we might gain eternal life? What more powerful display of God's provisional love for creation can we offer one another than to also be givers? Some might argue that this text is strictly referring to generosity of material resources, but I would suggest that it's probably a both-and scenario, both material and spiritual generosity. The phrase generous undertaking that we see in verses 6 and 7 and a version of it in verse 8 offers us a meaning for giving 
that takes us beyond the transactional and into the transformational. The Greek translation of that phrase, generous undertaking, is a word um, pronounced charis, a word used many times in Paul's writings with various but similar meanings like grace, favor, blessing, privilege. And when we reread the passage using the words um, in their original meaning, we can really begin to uncover the missional message here that Paul is offering the Corinthians and us. So let's reread it together, if you would. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this grace, in this favor, in this blessing, in this privilege. Paul is illuminating for the Corinthians and for us how being a giver can be an opportunity to engage in an act of piety, not merely completing a housekeeping task, but rather a way to honor God, honor one's selfhood as image bearer, and honor the spirit of God that surely abides in all others. Our focus is shifted from the transactional elements of the task onto the transformational. We can allow our giving to change us. So then comes the questions of, well, what do I give? How much do I give? Is it a quantity over quality situation? Are my gifts acceptable? Is my giving holy? Well, thankfully, Paul spells it out for us with his advice. We know it's his advice because he says, in this matter here, I'm giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, to finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that there may be abundance for your need in order that there may be fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. I find so much comfort there in verse 12. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If you desire in your heart to give your time, your material resources, your talents, or your spiritual gifts, or all of the above, and you live that out, those gifts are acceptable. If you find yourself in a position now to give material resources to the church and you want to, those gifts are acceptable. If you find yourself in a time in your life when finances are a little tight and you want to give, but you just give what you can, those gifts are acceptable. If you find yourself in a place like some of the clients I've been blessed to serve at the Interfaith Food Basket include, who don't have the material resources to offer but can do things like sing um, for others while they're waiting to, um, to do their shopping, 
and lead the group in a gospel song, those gifts are acceptable. If you're retired and living on a fixed income, but you find yourself with a deep yearning to give, so you might volunteer at the SPCA or the Pregnancy Help Center, those gifts are acceptable. If you're a kiddo and all you have to offer is your presence here today in this church or a hug around your grandma's neck, those are acceptable gifts. If you are skeptical of the church and all of our religion, but you feel deeply led to serve your community through fundraising or beach cleanups or participating in a child advocacy program, those gifts are acceptable. I received a wonderful gift this morning as I arrived early. I was, you know, a little bit nervous. And um, sweet, sweet young lady just gave me the gift of conversation this morning. Um, and it was really important and, and really special for me to just be able to sit and have a relaxing conversation before coming in here this morning. We always have something to give. We can always be working towards balance and equality in the world because we belong to a God who is provisional. Emmanuel dwelling among us and leaving us with a legacy of generosity gilded with grace. Teaching us how to exist in communities with kingdom economics that resist the postmodern scarcity mindset. We don't have to be afraid that who we are or what we can offer God and others won't be enough because we serve a God who can take what little we have to offer and multiply it. We serve a God of miracles, who breathes life into dusty bones, who rains sustenance from the heavens and springs forth water from stone, who turns water to wine and moves mountains with our mustard seed-sized faith, who takes the leftovers of a little boy's lunch and feeds 5,000 hungry people. We are enough. Our gifts are enough because we draw on a well that does not end. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.